looked at several passages in, in Scripture that talked about sanctification and, and this, this ongoing process of salvation, how we're becoming more and more and more like God. And, and we looked at how, uh, how the New Testament describes that as not becoming more and more like, like God necessarily, but specifically becoming more and more and more like Jesus, the perfect representative, the perfect image of God, the one who is um, the exact imprint of his nature, as uh, the scriptures say. So today we want to, we want to tonight we want to take some time to take some questions from you all. We've done some questions all along the way, but take some questions from, from you all if you have some. Um, we have some questions already thought of, but if, if you have some, we want to answer yours first um, about how does this apply to um, society around us? How does, how does being created in, in God's image, how does that change the way that we think about all these different issues in our society, in our world, in our lives, how we interact with people, um, and, and how we interact with each other? And so we're just going to open it up. If you have a question, raise your hand. We'll call on you. Um, shout your question out. Try to be loud so we can hear. Um, and then before we answer, we will repeat the question um, because it is being recorded, and that way the people listening to the recording later uh, will know what the question is, not just the answer. Yeah, so the question is, um, how does being created in God's image affect um, our self-worth, affect our self-identity, um, th those kind of things? I, I, uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, I think that one of the things that we struggle with as, um, as people is we, we, we tend to look at ourselves on the outside. Uh, we tend to, tend to grade ourselves against other people. We tend to look at how we how we're able to perform uh, based upon uh, job duties on a sports uh, you know competition academically there's lots of ways that we judge ourselves and we begin to assign ourselves self-worth through the lens of man so we are comparing ourselves to mankind we're comparing ourselves to our peers those that we see around us and uh, for, for a lot of people that lowers their sense of self-worth and the thing that I think that, uh, you know, in conversations that I've had previously in counseling with people was that if we do that, we're already lowering the bar, right? Because we're comparing ourselves to another sinful person. And, and we're not understanding rightly that we are created in God's image. And our worth isn't what someone else says that we're worth. It's not what we even say that we're worth compared to other people. We are valued, we are uh, worth what God says we're worth. And he says when he created us, he created us in his image. He created us after him, male and female is what it says in Genesis. And so our worth as a person is not bound up and wrapped up in what we perceive that we're worth. We're worth what God says we're worth. And we're worth his son coming dying on a cross in our place to redeem us. And for those who uh, believe in Christ, for those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, there is no greater value than the life of another person. And more importantly, the life of the Son of God who laid down his life to purchase, to redeem us. 
So when we begin to think about who we are, we don't need to think about who we are in comparison to LeBron James or who we are in comparison to some great scientist or somebody who's done something great. We need to look and see who we are through the eyes of God because our value, our worth is who we are in Jesus Christ. And once we understand who we are in Jesus Christ and we understand that Christ laid down his life for us and paid that penalty for our sins, we begin to look at ourselves a little differently. We begin to understand what it is to understand our, our, ourselves and how we work and that God has created us, fearfully, wonderfully made us in the way that we are. And we begin to see sometimes those faults that we have, not as faults, but as characteristics that God has bestowed upon us. He's created us in this manner. And he has created us all with different gifts uh, that we can use to glorify him and to serve him. And just like in the discussion in the New Testament that, that Paul gives us on the, the body of believers, each having different functions, we begin to learn that God's created us in such a way that we now have talents and abilities to serve him. We may think of ourselves and say, we just have one thing that we can do, but God has given us that as a great, wonderful gift to serve him. And so seeing ourselves the way that Christ sees ourselves is the resolution to self-worthlessness, which is what we get when we compare ourselves to others and we look inwardly. Yeah, I'd agree. My first thought was thinking to the cross and Jesus laid down his life for us. And we all know that you don't lay your life down for just anybody. Uh, if you and I were to lay our life down, it would be for someone that we love dearly, someone that means a lot to us. And so Seeing, the Bible tells us that Jesus laid down his life for us, helps us understand just how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, and also points to uh, everything that Matt was saying, but uh, again, that we are created in his image uh, and that we have value uh, from God's perspective, not just from anybody else's perspective. The only thing I would add is that, um, you know, a lot of times the reason people have low self-worth or self-esteem, if you want to talk about it that way, um, is because of the identity issue. A lot of times people don't know who they are. Um, and you may have heard before, when you have a thousand options, it makes it hard to make a decision, right? Because you're kind of drowning all the different options. Whenever, whenever we're trying to um, you know, create ourselves, create our persona, um, think about even like on, online, on social media, and different things like that, um, I've heard I've heard even teenagers talk about even when I was a teenager talk about going off to college and this being a chance to kind of recreate yourself and make yourself into into who you want to be, um, but we don't have to make ourselves into who we want to be and we don't have a right to make ourselves into who we want to be because God, the first part of what it means to be created in God's image is that we are created by God and so He determines who we are and He determines our purpose and He determines um, what. Like, even like, like Matt and Jake were saying, he determines what value is, what valuable is. Um, it's not up to us to make those decisions. Next. Any other questions? Let me throw this question out there. How does... How does being created in God's image affect the way that we parent our children? Uh, a couple thoughts. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a, a big passage when we think about parenting. Y'all can turn there if you have your Bible with you. 
This is known as the Shema. Uh, Jewish families raising kids would be very familiar with this. And, and here's what it says, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the idea here is that God desires that parents would teach their kids all the things that they have learned throughout life. And specifically to the, to the Jewish audience or God's people in the Old Testament, uh, God is desiring that the parents would pass on the knowledge of him to their children, to teach them how to worship him, teach them how to honor him, teach them uh, all the things that God has done, remind them of God's faithfulness to them. And so one of the things that we need to keep in mind as we parent is we need to remind ourselves uh, that these children are exactly that. They're children that God has given to us, but they too bear the image of God. And just as much as me, uh, my own children, Graham, Charlie, and now Jack, uh, they all bear the image of God. And so that, that means that their life has value uh, in and of itself. God has created them. Okay, it's not anything that Samantha and I uh, did apart from God to, to create children. God is the one who creates babies and gives them uh, or makes them in his image. But God has commanded us to care for them in such a way that we raise them to know him. And I think that's, that's what the, the thrust of this passage is. But also I think about Proverbs, I want to say it's 13, 20 something uh, which says to not spare the rod, but to provide discipline for your children. And I think the reason behind that is because God disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, all of us, uh, when we sin, when we do something that God does not uh, like or when God hates, he disciplines us because he knows that discipline is good for us. Discipline is going to shape us more into the image of Christ himself. And so it's the same thing with, with parenting. Uh, it's important that discipline not be uh, forsaken because discipline is a good thing. Discipline is going to teach children to obey. It's going to teach them uh, ultimately to fear the Lord. And so the image of God, understanding that, that our children are made in the image of God is important, uh, but also understanding that, that God has called us to then raise them as image bearers of God to be worshipers of God. And to follow on with what Jake was saying there, if we, if we look at uh, the book of Judges, we see in Judges cycles of sin. And those cycles of sin come about because the parents are not diligent in teaching the children the ways of the Lord. And we see over and over again there arose a generation that did not know the Lord or know his commands, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and I think if we just look in the brief period of time that the United States has been around, we can see where we have had times where generations did not teach their children, they did not raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and we can see people losing their identity in Christ. They, they're, they're no, no longer teaching diligently the ways, as, as Jake was talking, talking about. They weren't disciplining them. And that lack of discipline, that lack of teaching, leads to a generation that will arise that does not know the Lord, does not know his commands. They lose their identity uh, for who they are as created 
beings and, and as image bearers of, of God, and they begin to live with debased minds, as it says in Romans, minds that are only for the world, minds that will cheer each other on when they're sinning uh, and invent ways of, of sinning. Uh, and, and as parents, it's our responsibility to be diligent in teaching, as it says, as you rise and as you, as you walk along and as you lay down at night. We have to be diligent in teaching our children the difference between right and wrong, how to spot right and wrong. When Christ sends out the disciples, he tells them to be uh, innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And our children should be raised in, this, in a similar fashion. We should teach them the ways of God. We should teach them the teachings from God's word so that they would be wise and not be fooled by the world's falsehoods and lies. So, but they would remember who they are. They would remember who it is that they are following, who it is that they believed upon, so that when they encounter challenges, whether it be through friends or, or through other circumstances of life, they would be able to stand up underneath of those temptations. And I think as parents, we, we, we can't um, neglect even for a moment and allow things to be accepted uh, and, and adopted into our, our, our children's lives. We have to diligently, diligently, every day, follow after them and teach them. Using all uh, all the different opportunities that were provided in daily life to teach. And in doing so, they won't grow to be that generation that does not know the Lord and falls away. I'm not a parent. I don't have any children. Um, but I would cautiously say, say a couple things about children and parents both. Um, I think it's important to remember that children are created in God's image, not in the parent's image. I think that's a mistake sometimes that, that's made. Um, and, and affects expectations that are that are unreasonable and and things like that. There are ways that children are like their parents, and there are ways that children should be like their parents. Um, but they're not um, clones of their parents, and they're their children of their own own people. And um, we should seek to to discover how God has gifted each um, each child individually and, and encourage them in in those giftings. Um, I also think we should remember that not only are we created in God's image, but that image has been messed up, has been distorted by sin, and so we should um, expect our children to be sinners, and we should expect them not to be perfect in their image bearing uh, of God, um, and we should we should guard them against trying to make up for that by their own efforts, and and point them to uh, the Savior Jesus that, that that can do that for them, um, that restores that image, um, and and fixes us and fixes them and makes makes them whole. Um, and then I also think it's important for um, adults, for parents to remember that we also are, are affected by sin and, and, and the, the image of God in us is also distorted in, in some ways. And it's weird to be, um, you know, God created Adam and Eve to be image bearers, not, not, not for no reason, but for the reason of bearing the image of God to the rest of creation. And so as adults, people, especially people who are redeemed by Christ, um, we are to bear the image of God to those around us. And for parents, that includes um, our children. And so we should seek to be God-like, to be Christ-like around, around them and to them. Um, and, and yet we should also be open and honest and transparent about the ways that we're not, the ways that that image has not been fully redeemed in us yet. And so be quick to seek forgiveness from our children, be, be quick to admit um, when we failed, when, we, when we're wrong, um, all the time by our example, driving them to, uh, 
to Christ, driving them to repentance to the Savior. And I think that that also folds in with what he was saying with uh, being consistent and, and being quick to to respond with um, you know an apology or, or, or calling out our faults. That's extremely important, extremely important. And I, I think as as we think about um, you know Womble made a comment about not having not having children, but Womble still is very heavily involved with with my kids. Right, he he, he is uh, there. Uh, he's he's talking to the to my boys. He, he's pouring into them, and we do that through not just interpersonal relationships like like we have um, as friends and 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 as fellow elders, and, and but we do that as church, right? We do that as a family here uh, in the body of the church. We have a nursery, we have children's ministry, we have youth ministry. All of those ministries are are not just for childcare. They're not just uh, so that we can play gaga ball and have snacks and lock-ins and things like that. We're doing that so that we can together pour into the children and remind them of who they are in Christ, to, to bring them along and teaching them the truths from God's Word. Um, again, all with that purpose of, as, as a unit, as, as a church, as a family, uh, to see them brought up uh, in the knowledge of God. Any follow-up questions on that on that topic? Any other questions on other topics? Okay. Um, okay, can we hold off on that till a little bit later toward the end? See if there are any other questions about specifically about the image. Okay, and then we'll come back to that before we before we finish. Okay, um, a question that I thought of as as, as Matt, as you were um, bringing the question about parenting and children around to the church, is um, what does being created in God's image? How does that affect the way that we think about um, church membership? even just being a member of a church, and how does that affect the way that we think about um, or, or the way that we interact with and, and treat other members of, of the church? Any of, either one of y'all? I have thoughts too, but since I asked the question, one of y'all can go first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wanda. Uh, yeah, so as we think about the image of God, um, obviously it affects the way that we should treat everyone and not just uh, people who are members of the church. But I think it works uh, both ways when we think about church membership. You know, one of the things that Josh will say if, if someone comes forward to join the church is, we want to be a good church to you, but we also expect you to be a good church to us. And we say that because we, we understand that when we talk about church, we're not talking about a building. Uh, we're talking about people. We are the church. If you are a member of this church, that means you are the church. And so... There's some expectations from both us as pastors, leaders of the church in the ways that we care for church members, but there's also expectations on church members and how they uh, respond to the things that, that, uh, that is happening in the church or the ways that they are faithful church members. And so I think uh, some of those things include, uh, as, as leaders thinking about church membership, we need to just be reminded that everybody has equal value. Kind of like the, the very first question that we were talking about. Uh, 
all people are made in God's image. There are going to be some people that seem like they may be more helpful in certain ways than others, and so we might gravitate to those people, or there may be people that we connect with better, and so it's easier for us to minister to those types of people. Uh, but we need to be reminded as leaders that, that all people are created in God's image, and, and all people are people that, that Christ has spilled his blood for. And so all people deserve to be known, cared for, loved, uh, helped in, in anything that they need. Uh, but also on the flip side, as we think about being a church member, uh, we should also understand that, uh, that everyone around us is made in the image of God. And there are ways in which God has gifted all of us individually to help the church, to be a blessing of the church. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians how uh, church is, is like a body. Okay, If you just have a body made up of, of nothing but fingers, uh, you might be able to, to pick a lot of things up. But maybe not, because you don't have legs to, to help and, you know, back to, to help pick up and all of these things, right? And so, or a thumb, right? You need opposable thumbs. <laughs> so God has created us and gifted us in such a way that we all work together, kind of like the human body. We need all the different parts in order to function properly, uh, and, and the church is the same way. And so we need to understand that all people uh, are uniquely gifted, but also bear the image of God. Uh, they are people that Christ has died for, uh, and they have value, and, and they matter. And as we work together, it's important for us to understand that there will be times where we'll have church members that will have challenges in their lives. And um, just as we were talking about the, the body parts, sometimes we have injuries that occur to our body parts. And what we do is we overcompensate with other parts to help protect and help surround and help heal. And... What's important, though, is that we stay connected to the body, uh, because if we have a part that is severed, that part is, is going to die, because it is no longer connected to the, the life source. Uh, and as we talk about the body, that, is, that would be the blood. As we talk about the church, that would be the, the body of Jesus Christ, the, the, the blood of Christ. So it's important when we see church members that begin to fall away, begin to attend less, begin to have different challenges in their life for all of us, not just uh, particular church leaders or, or a particular group of individuals that do visitation. It's important for all of us to not only recognize that, but to reach out, to try to, to, to talk, to, to counsel, to encourage, uh, to, and to, to just try to see them come back and attend because we're a body of believers because we're gathered together. As Jake was saying, we're a, we're a, we're people. We're not a we're not a building. And if if someone ceases to be part of us physically, then they've ceased to be part of us. And it, it's incumbent upon all of us to do life together, to encourage one another as we seek towards that the, the prize and the goal, which is uh, our heaven. With, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we work towards that, as we, we continue to see each other growing and, and sanctifying uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our, our lives, we, we, we don't want to see people falling away and not attending and falling into sin and just let that go. It's important to know that if they're claiming to be part of us, if they're claiming to be part of, of our church and yet the witness that they're putting out in the world is one of sin and one of separation. That, that hurts them and it hurts us. 
And we don't want to see that. So we should seek to reach out to them, seek, seek to, to reach out to bring them back in. But as a proper functioning church, if someone is completely separated themselves and no longer wants to be part of us, that's when uh, we would begin to talk about church discipline and, and, and tearfully, prayerfully separate our, ourselves from them. That is not a desire of the church. That is not a desire from any of us. But uh, Scripture tells us very clearly that if someone is living an apostate life, they're living against Christ, they can't have it both ways. They, they can't put their faith in church membership and yet live for the world. And it, it's incumbent upon all of us to, to reach out to them. And ultimately, if it, if it comes down to it and we have to separate, that's, that's when we, we have church discipline. Josh? Yeah, so his question is, is homosexuality a sin, and if so, why? Um, and then I would, I would add to that also, how do we think about that, and how do we treat people that um, identify that way, thinking about being created in God's image? First, yes, homosexuality is, is a sin, um, and the clearest reason why is because Scripture says so. God has said so. Um, but a more more detailed answer, um, there's, there could be lots of aspects to that. Um, a more detailed answer is partly because God created people specifically um, to be image bearers of him. And, and there's, a, there's a big mystery in, in how all of this works, but he says, let's create them in our likeness, in our image. And then it says male and female, we cre- created he them, or he created them male and female. Um, and Adam was given to Eve. Eve was given to Adam as a um, husband and wife relationship. And so there's, there's something about humanity being male and female um, that has a part to do with, with imaging God, with bearing, bearing God's image. Um, and there's a, part, there's, there's, there's a part to male and, and female coming together in um, the marriage relationship that is also... Um, somehow connected to that being in God's image. That doesn't mean that people who are not married are not in God's image, right? Obviously, everyone's created in God's image, so even those who are, who are not married are still made in God's image, but there's something about the act of the male and female coming together and becoming one flesh. Um, there's something uh, about that unity that bears witness to who God is and, and what God's like, um, and we don't, we don't necessarily want to speculate too much on that, but but, but one possibility, one likelihood is um, that, that God has created that in, in, a, in a way to um, bear image to the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the, in the Trinity. And we know later on in the New Testament, we know that that relationship of husband and wife, male and female, um, is there to uh, be an image of Christ and, and the church the image of, of how God relates to his bride, the church, and how God loves, sacrificially loves, and gives himself up for um, his bride, the church, and how the church is to submit to him and, and love him back and follow him, um, and, and all those things that, that go along um, that, that go along with that. Um, I would also say, though, on, on the other hand, um, you know, we're, I'm, we're, we're talking to a, to a group of Southern Baptist church members in the Sunday night crowd, 
who a little bit, maybe a little bit more committed even than, than, than some others. Um, and so I want to be a little bit careful. If we were, if we were having, if I was having a conversation in front of a group of homosexual people, people who identify that way, then hopefully I would hit in a good way in, in, in a, in a, in a loving and, and way and all that kind of stuff. But I would hit the fact that that's a sin and, and try to drive that point home, right? And, and, and I feel like we know that, and so we don't need to necessarily drive that point home so much, but we also need to, to counter that with the truth that people who, are, who identify as homosexual are also created in God's image. And, and so we have a responsibility toward those people, just like we do any, any group of people that's in sin, any set of people that's in sin, ourselves that are, that are in sin. And so we have responsibility not to, not to write them off as, as that's so sinful that they're outside the reach of Christ or that's so sinful that they're somehow um, apart from the rest of, uh, of creation. No, they also are created in God's image. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, that's so detrimental and, and so bad about, about those type of relationships is that it, it does damage to their purpose for being created. It does damage to... Um, to them bearing that, that image of, of God, but we should still reach out to them. We shouldn't be afraid of them. We should be friendly toward them and, and, and love them and um, do all those kind of things that we would with any other um, person who is created in God's image but, but sinful. And that, that also, you know, a related issue is, is transgenderism, which is not exactly the same thing as um, as homosexuality or, or lesbianism or those kind of things, but it is in, in that same track, um, and those are really hot-button issues in our, in our culture right now, um, but, but we would need to say the same things about that. Um, and, and going back to the very first question we had, the first discussion we had, part of what it means to be made in God's image, created in God's image, is that we didn't create ourselves, and we don't have the right to make ourselves into what we want ourselves to be. God created us specifically in certain ways, um, and, and so we should seek to, to live according to the way that he's created us the best, the best that we can instead of trying to undo that and, and, and instead of celebrating those who, who try to undo that. And, but at the same time, I would, I, would, I would have the same caution that people who, who identify as transgender are also created in God's image, and we need to um, remember that and, and, and be willing to reach out to them with the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ and um, all those same things that I said before. Right, and I think that the, as we're talking about the image, they, they have a, a distorted image, and that distortion right. of that image comes through sin. And I think that we want to call that out, that sin of homosexuality or, or other sins, we're, we're not trying to rank those. We're saying that they're sinners who need to hear the gospel. And we want to convey the truth and convey the truth in love, not convey the truth in, in hate or in anger. We want to convey the truth in love but certainly we don't want to give a false sense of uh, acceptance or approval, right? There's, there's a fine line between sharing truth and love and going on to acceptance and approval. And I, I think that as long as we're, we're trying to, to, to balance that, certainly we want to, to make sure that we have opportunities to, to be engaged in conversation with them, um, you know, just like we would anyone else. And we want to make sure that we have the opportunity to talk to them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if, if, someone, if someone who was transgender were to come in here on a Sunday morning and want to worship with us, we would hopefully we would welcome them in and, and, and accept them to be here with us. Um, we wouldn't change the message that we preach, and we wouldn't be um, hesitant about 
preaching against sin, against all sin, including sin that that, 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 that person might be involved in, just as any other visitor we would um, still preach against sin that, that that visitor might be involved in. But we would welcome, welcome that person in to hear the gospel and, and hopefully repent and believe in it just like, just like anyone else. Actually, I had a conversation with a lady at one point in time, and I gave basically that same answer, is that you're certainly welcome to come. We, we'd love for you to be there, but you need to understand that uh, we, we are going to teach the truth from God's Word. And if it does happen to be something that's discussed, we're going to say what the truth is. And being confronted with the truth can be hurtful. It, it can be, uh, it, it requires a response, and a lot of times people get upset, but you will hear the truth. But you're certainly, we, we want, that's what, that's what we're, the church is here for, is to, to preach the good news to a lost and dying world. Did you have a question, Andrew? So, uh, so, so Andrew's questions are, um, when, we're, when we're talking about someone who is in homosexual sin, what do we mean by homosexual sin? And, and what he means by that is, um, are we talking about someone who commits acts of homosexuality? Um, or are we talking about someone who, um, who identifies as a homosexual, someone who is attracted to uh, people of the same sex? Is that fair? Um, is one of... Is one of those sin is the other not sin? So, so if someone is attracted to someone of the same sex, but they don't act on that attraction, then is, is that attraction sin or is that a, attraction temptation, right? Um, and, then his, and then the second part of the question is someone who, um, who is or has been homosexual, even involved in a homosexual lifestyle, homosexual acts, um, comes in, hears the gospel, repents of, of their sins, and is converted, what does discipleship of that person look like? How do we help to train that person to, to follow Jesus? So two real simple questions. You guys go ahead and handle so, those real fast. I, I think I'll take the easier part of that if I can speak first. Uh, so I, I think that um, rather than addressing it uh, so specifically, I think we'll talk, uh, or I'll talk to sexual sins because that's really at the root of what we're talking about. It's a sexual deviancy, a sexual sin. So... Yep. Certainly, I think that there is a fine line between I have an attraction to and I'm thinking and I'm meditating on those thoughts. Because I think if we are talking about thinking and meditating on those thoughts, then I'm falling into a trap of sin in my mind. And I think at that point, we're still sinning, even though we're not acting outwardly. So I, I just want to draw the distinction that if someone is fantasizing about or having those thoughts and those thoughts are things that they're enjoying having, I think that they're sinning in doing so. So the counsel would be to renew your mind uh, with God's word. So anyone who is, is struggling with sexual sins, first of all, we want to not have them put themselves into a situation that they might fall into sin, right? So not set yourself up for sin by putting yourself in certain situations. Uh, so, so, so with that aside, we would continue to talk about who we are in Christ, recovering that image that we have at the beginning, which is God created as male and female, God intended or designed us in this fashion, and then talking about how is it that we can uh, either, if there is a continued attraction and for, for whatever reason, abstain from 
and not dwell on or think about those things and begin to, um, you know, if they're going to live a celibate life for, for the rest of their life, encourage that and encourage them not to put themselves in situations, whether it be with images on the internet, uh, hanging out with certain people, going to certain events and things like that. We would encourage them to renew their mind, renew their heart. And we know that through the power of the Holy Spirit that those things are possible. It's, it's not necessarily possible with someone sitting down and hearing me talk to them or someone else just talk to them and counsel them. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in that person's heart that they're ever going to get past that point. And that's true for, for any addiction or any, any type of sin. Okay, So that's what I would say for the, the, the first question. Well, and, and adding, adding to that, I appreciate you bringing it to a more general position of, of any type of sexual sin. Um, because we don't want to single that one sexual sin out as different from, from other sexual sins. Um, it is, all sexual sins are different, but not as, as worse or, or anything like that. Um, and I, w- I would say two things. One, as difficult as it might be for us sometimes to, to kind of wrap our mind around what it means, um, we should be prepared for that person to, that person who's been converted, we should be prepared for that person to not be perfect even going forward. We should be prepared for that person to fall to temptation from time to time, just as anyone else who is who is converted to Christ um, still falls to temptation from time to time. Um, and, and so hopefully that will be less and less as they grow more and, and are disciple more and, and mature more in Christ. But um, but we shouldn't expect them to be to be perfect from the very beginning. Um, and, and then just going off what you said about kind of bringing all sexual sin in, into this conversation, this, this is one of the things that... that this is one of the worst things about um, prostitution, about human sex trafficking, about pornography, is that all the people involved in that are people who are created in God's image, right? And so if you're looking at pornographic images, that's, that's somebody who was created in God's image. And instead of, instead of treating that person as, as a person who's made in God's image, as someone who is, um, has dignity and has, has, has value and worth, um, in, in that moment, that person is, is treating that person as, as an object, as, as, um, as, as someone or something to bring them satisfaction and, and gratification. And, um, and so if, if for no other reason, that's uh, a reason for us to, to hate pornography and sex trafficking and prostitution and all of those kind of things. Yeah, I was thinking uh, about the aspect of discipleship that you were talking about. And I don't think there's anything specifically different that we need to do for someone who's homosexual. And, and all of that comes back to what Matt said is it's it's just a sexual sin. I mean, it's, it's not any worse than uh, if one of us married men were to go sleep with some other woman that's not our wife. I mean, that is equally as sinful and equally as bad. And, or an unmarried man. Or an there you go. Yeah, or if an unmarried man was, was sleeping with, with somebody. Um, so we have to approach it, you know, as discipleship is simply we are teaching someone how to be a follower of Jesus. And so perhaps, you know, in certain situations like, like homosexuality, you want to remove that person from the things that are going to cause temptation. Uh, and that's the same that you would do with anybody. If you're taking like a young man who's had issues with pornography and he's, he's 
you know, triggered when he sees certain things on social media, you're going to tell him, hey, you need to remove yourself from that. You need to remove that temptation so that you're not falling into those types of things. And so there may be things like that that are different from other situations, but I don't think you would approach the whole aspect of discipleship differently. Uh, You are teaching them how to be a follower of Jesus. And one of those things is repenting of our sin, uh, which theirs may be different from from our sin, but we all are, are sinners and we all need to repent, and, and discipleship is learning how to live a life of repentance, essentially. And, and there's, there's challenges, as, as Jake mentioned, when you're talking about pulling yourself away from uh, sin. Most of the time, people get immersed into a lifestyle of sin, right? And, and they begin to surround themselves with other people who are uh, as we talked earlier, encouraging you in that sin, and they're not surrounding themselves with people who would counsel them otherwise. So certainly being removed from that environment is important, but also replacing that, because just like we're not trying to replace the bad thoughts like meditation would teach you, which would be empty your mind, we would, we would say remove those thoughts and fill them with Scripture. Remove those thoughts, fill them with the things of God. Meditate upon God's Word and in doing so, we're renewing our mind. The same thing is true for the people that they hang out with. If they're, if they're, if they're encouraging that behavior, we would say we need to replace these friends. And that's the hard part, right, of counseling is you're telling someone to do something like get rid of your friends. But if you're getting rid of your friends, you're pulling yourself away from that lifestyle and you're replacing it with a body of believers in Jesus Christ who are going to encourage you in your walk with Christ. It's going to help I'm not, not that, as, as Womble said, not that they're going to not stumble, they're not going to have, you know, you know issues um, going forward, but the, the hope is the more that their, their mind is renewed, the more that that stone heart becomes flesh, and, and the more that they desire Christ, they're going to desire Christ more than the fulfillment that they received through whatever that other thing was. All right, it is um, almost time to go. Any, any final question burning on your mind? Uh-huh. So there is, um, now this is. Oh, the question, sorry, I didn't repeat the oh, question yeah, for, sorry, the, for the recording. The question was, um, we've talked a lot about what it means to be made in God's image and given several examples from the Bible, um, but what, what specific examples from the Bible can we point to um, that are examples of how single women can, uh, can rightly bear the image of God and, and live a Christ-following life? Is that right? The follow-up to that was especially because in our, in our society, in our culture today, we get um, images all the time of what it means to be 
a woman, what it means to be a man, um, uh, and and so what will we look to in the Bible as a, as examples of that? So, so I think I think rather than uh, I, I know Jake's looking up a specific scripture. I was thinking Esther uh, very much uh, in the example because of of the life that she lived and willingness uh, to serve. But uh, in the New Testament, if we wanted to come to a New Testament example, I think pretty much anything that we would say to a young Christian man about living for and following Christ. And of course, again, when, when we were looking uh, in, in the New Testament, there's a lot, even in the, the, all scripture really, it's, it's a lot of it's geared towards male examples. But I think that we're equal in God's eyes as we talk about men and women. We're created in God's image, male and female. We have equal worth in God's eyes. But when we see the, the things that we would say would be good, examples in, 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 in Scripture for young men, a lot of it applies directly to women. It's just written with a masculine uh, language, right? So if we say that it's good for us to study Scripture, it's good for us to, to pray, it's good for us to, to uh, evangelize and, uh, and attend church and praise and worship and, and, and do all of that with, with the body of Christ, all of that applies equally to, to, to men and women. And I think... Um, you know, we, we see in New, the New Testament examples of women that helped in the church. So you have you have Phoebe, uh, Priscilla, and Aquila. Uh, you, you see the example of, of them helping, even though that's a married relationship where they're helping kind of teach. Um, those, those are good examples. And I, I think that the only thing that we would say to young women is that um, we don't think Scripture would say that you should be a pastor, right? I mean, so we don't, we don't think you should be, you know, necessarily a preacher or a pastor of a church, but all of the other things as far as evangelizing and, and, and living a, a godly life after the example that Christ set for us applies equally to men and women. And to your point about society kind of giving this um, second wave feminism view of what a woman should be, that's a distortion that the world's given us, right? We're, we're again, not trying to define what a woman should be through what um, you know, some progressive liberal group tells us they should be. We're, we're trying to define what it looks like for us to be a, a Christian woman in light of Scripture, right? And what should a Christian woman be today? You should be a young lady who is uh, not, not married, obviously. You should be pure, uh, and you should be looking to examples of older Christian women and how they minister and how they, um, you know, care for their family. If you, uh, you know, if that's something that's going to be in uh, God's plan for you to eventually be in the family, seeing what Christian mothers do and care for their children and care for their husband, how uh, Christian ladies are working outside the home. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, Christian women that work outside the home today. There's a lot of Christian women that are homeschooling. There's there's Christian teachers. There's there's all sorts of examples of good Christian women who are doing great things for the Lord in different. Uh, capacities uh, in our world today. And I would encourage you to look to them as examples. Follow them as they follow Christ. And don't listen to what, um, you know, you might hear what women are supposed to be today, uh, especially from a progressive society. Uh, they're going to give you that slanted view, right? So am I going to point to a specific scripture for you? I'll have to, you know, go a little further if, uh, you know, if we want to talk about a specific scripture, because again, there's a lot of male examples, but I would say that the foundational things that Paul teaches Timothy would apply to 
uh, would apply to a Christian young lady as well, except for being a pastor, right? Yep. Hang, hang on, hang on just a second. Hang, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Yep. So Miss Pat saying the Proverbs 31 passage will be a good passage to, to, to apply. Um, I will point to two specific passages, not two specific people, um, but, to, but and, and, and you alluded to one of them already, where Paul says for the younger men to learn from the older men and the younger women to learn from the um, older women. So I would reiterate what, what um, Matt, is that your name? What yeah. Matt said about, um, I would reiterate, reiterate what Matt said about learning from, from older women. But then I would also remind you of the passage where Paul talks about, in some ways, it's better to be single for the, for the sake of the church. There, there are ways that um, people who are single can serve um, where people who are married aren't, aren't able to um, because of different responsibilities and, and, and things like that. And so, um, so going back to that passage that, that Paul says, older women or younger women learn from the older women, older women teach the, the younger women, I would say find some older women to learn from and follow and it's, it's especially in this season of life where you have um, time and, and availability and that kind of thing, find some younger women that you can then be leading as well. So be following the older women and be leading the younger women um, and, and, and use, the, um, use the situation that, that God has given you at, at, this, at this time. Yeah, the last, sorry. Yep. Curtis. Yeah. So Curtis, Curtis uh, pointed out that, that Ruth is a good example in the Old Testament early on in that book, especially before she's married. Yeah, the last thing that I would say is uh, two things. One is kind of where this whole discussion started. Uh, we have to remember that our value is in Christ, not in being a wife or not in being a mother. Uh, we can see those things all, of around, all around us and assume uh, that I need to be that or I need to aspire to that, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you have value because you're created in God's image, uh, and the same applies for, for any single woman. And then I did think of a scriptural example, but it does fall short because the woman was married, but is not currently. So uh, this is uh, Anna the prophetess at the temple uh, at the birth of Jesus, and this is what it says. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So it seems that she was married at a young age. Uh, the marriage did not last long, and she remained single until the age of 84. Uh, and she filled her days being at the temple, uh, praying, fasting, and worshiping. Uh, and so that could be an example of... You don't need a marriage to find value in being a young woman. You can just be a godly woman who's committed to prayer, fasting, worshiping the Lord, and God will use you in, in various other ways. Uh, so I know that falls a little bit short because she was married, but uh, when we see her, she's not. Uh, but yet she's still being used by God uh, in a great way. Josh.
So for the, for the recording, Josh pointed out that 1 Corinthians 7 talks a lot about the, the benefits of being single, um, specifically within the context of the church, for the benefit of the church. And I think, again, there, the language very much leads us to talk about it being men, right? But certainly it would apply equally to women. And in the New Testament also, we have Mary and Martha that we could look at, and many other examples, but um, certainly we would, we would think there would be a, a ton of things, a ton of value in serving the Lord, uh, in, in your, your singleness, male, male or female, right? All right, well, we're past time. We want to make sure we get downstairs for the uh, wedding shower. Uh, but thank you all for being here tonight. Listen, there's a, there's a lot of other conversations we could still be having, a lot of questions that still um, could come up. We could talk a lot about racism and how, how evil and, and sinful and, and bad racism is um, and, and how being created in God's image um, has a lot to say about that issue. Um, and there, there's other questions that could come up, um, but we don't have time right now. I know, Jake, I told you we'd get back to your question before the end, um, but can we do that privately? Okay, thank, thanks. Then uh, let's pray, and, uh, and we'll, we'll go downstairs. Father God, we are so thankful to you tonight that you are um, our God, that you're good to us. And God, we thank you that you've created us in your image. You didn't have to do that. You could have made us uh, just like every other part of creation, and, and, and yet you created us with a specific purpose. And even when we messed that up, uh, when Adam and Eve messed that up and on, on our behalf, um, God, you didn't leave it messed up. You made a way for, uh, for us to be redeemed and for, for all of us, um, all parts of, of us to be redeemed, including um, the, the purpose that you made us for. And so, God, we thank you that you are redeeming us and have redeemed us and you're working in us right now um, to, uh, to, to be like you, to, to represent you, to, um, to, uh, to bear your image to one another. And God, I pray you'd help us to be um, gracious and merciful uh, toward one another uh, when we fall short. Father, help us to forgive one another quickly whenever we offend each other. And God, I pray that, that this body, this, this church here would be um, a picture of what it means to live life um, in the image of, of our creator. And God, again, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus, for making that possible. And God, I pray you'd help us to leave here tonight with all uh, the questions and conversation in mind and help us to live out in the world around us um, the truths that, that we've talked about here tonight. We thank you for Jesus and pray these things in his name. Amen.